0: So now I get the pleasure of uh, reading the scripture to you of the Christmas story, and then we're going to do uh, a few minutes of reflection on that story. Uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. You can use your pew Bible or follow along on the screens. Uh, this is the story of the birth of Jesus from Luke chapter, here, chapter 2. Hear these words. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was to men on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary... Treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen were just as they had been told. Uh, for our time of reflection, I want to begin with this question: What expectations did you bring to Christmas this year? You could think about, you know, what comes to mind when you think about the expectations. I've been reading a book by a, an author named David Zoll, and he, uh, the title of the book is called Low Anthropology, and basically the essence of this book is to explain that our expectations of ourselves and of other people determine so much of how we experience or how we determine the quality of our life. And he writes this in one part of the book. He says, "The single greatest enemy of contemporary satisfaction may be the belief in human perfectibility. We have been driven to collective rage through the apparently generous yet in reality devastating idea that that might be within our own natural ability to be completely and enduringly happy." And so if that definition was a little too wordy for you, I also brought you some Calvin and Hobbes. You may, may have seen it on the back of uh, your bulletin. Uh, in the in this 5 o'clock service, my son was sitting right down there, and I called the girl in this cartoon, the girl, and he yelled back at me, that's Lucy, because he's a big Calvin and Hobbes fan. Um, and so this is Calvin talking to Lucy, and they're in class together and this is their conversation it says uh, calvin asks what grade did you get i got an a said lucy really boy i'd hate to be you i got a c says calvin why on earth would you rather get an a than a c, rather get a c than an a asks lucy Calvin responds, I find my life is a lot easier the lower I keep everyone else's expectations. Um, And, you know, I have to explain to my son who reads Calvin and Hobbes, you know, we don't always go with everything that Calvin says, but Calvin always has a good point, right, about the human condition. And he illustrates our point for tonight, which is that... Uh, How we, what we expect and how we expect it really can determine the quality of our experience. And I want to, just for a moment, think about that when it comes to Christmas. Uh, What are your expectations for Christmas? We get marketed a lot about what our expectations for Christmas should be. One commercial that always sticks out to me, that always repeats in the Christmas season, you've probably seen it if you've watched any TV lately, is, a, is it's a couple and it's Christmas morning and they go outside and there they see uh, it's a, just a perfect glowing, just light snow on the ground, looks brisk, and there's a brand new ultra expensive SUV with a big bow on it. And then you can see that the, 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 uh, somebody in the relationship has gone out and bought the car for the other person in the relationship. And of course, that's supposed to be all the best present ever. And they're all warm and cozy. But I always think about that because I think if I went and did that, my wife would give me the hardest time about making such a terrible financial decision without even talking to her about it that I would be on big trouble in Christmas if I was to get such a gift, right? So the the expectations for what this season is and what they actually are is really can be totally different, can't they? And maybe it's just a smaller thing like, even if you get the thing that you expect, if you expect it, Do you really feel happy or do you just feel satisfied? Even if you get the things that you want and you're excited for a moment, we know that it's really not a lasting excitement. It's something that will probably, no matter what it is, it's just a thing that eventually will give way and you'll want to expect or need something else in the future in order to give you that same feeling. And so our expectations say a lot. You know, there were a lot of expectations in uh, the culture around uh, Jesus when he was born into the world. And in fact, those expectations in many ways also got in the way. Uh, There were three main groups, sects, within Judaism that all had different expectations for what the coming Messiah would be when he came into the world. There was a group called the Sadducees. And this group... uh, dealt with the Roman authority that was occupying the Jewish people, their theory was that they needed to cozy up to the Roman authorities and that they could play ball politically and that if they did that, then what benefited Rome would benefit them. And so they wanted the people to go along with them and cozy up to the political power. Or there's another group called the Pharisees, and that group Jesus had a lot of conversation with. In fact, he knew most of the Pharisees pretty well. But that group, what they thought was that if you followed the law perfectly, that you would garnish the favor of God and God would look after you. And so they they had laws and then they had laws upon laws upon laws. And then there was a group called the Zealots. And this group was a group that was so against the Roman occupiers that they actually wanted a military overthrow. And so they thought that the Messiah would come and he would be a military leader that would overcome Rome. Well, all of these groups' expectations really got in the way when it came to seeing Jesus face to face. The expectations of who Jesus was were not what they thought they would be. And one of the ways we could talk about this, I have another uh, little point here from Calvin and Hobbes that may help us uh, to just think about what did these groups really want in the Messiah? So this is what... This is Calvin's prayer in another section of Calvin and Hobbes. He says this, O lovely snowball, packed with care, smack a head that's unaware, then with freezing ice despair, melt and soak through underwear. Fly straight and true, hit hard and square. This, O snowball, is my prayer. And then he pauses and he says, I only throw consecrated snowballs. See, consecration is like set apart, right? And so Calvin only throws the kind of snowballs where they're set apart for his purposes. He wants God on his side. He thinks God should be for him as he goes after his enemies to vanquish them, right? And and some of this is what was going on with all of these groups. They thought that Jesus should be a certain way. They thought that he should come and endorse and be for their group in their particular way in which they think they should deal with their problems. And yet Jesus comes in such an unexpected way. We just heard about it, didn't we? We heard that Jesus didn't come with the pedigree and the power. He came in a lowly manger. In fact, there was no room for him at the inn, and there he was amongst the livestock and animals in a cave being born. See, this says something about expectations. But maybe if we can move from our expectations and what we think we need or deserve to being expectant, that we might find something beautiful in the story. What can we be expectant about? How can we be expectant like the people who didn't miss Jesus on that first Christmas, right? We read about them in the story. One was these shepherds, right? They had no expectations. They were just out there doing what they did every night. their e- really ordinary job, a, a real hard worker's job, out there caring for some sheep, just trying to get by. When all of a sudden, the heavens opened and there heaven came to earth for these ordinary shepherds and announced the messiah was to come and then not only that but then a choir of angels came to sing and can you imagine just being a shepherd out there and all of a sudden you see a choir of angels just astonishing just blowing away any expectation they would have had for their life period that they got to live in the time of the messiah that they got to be there with jesus but not only that but god decided to announce the coming of the saving one for the entire world and all of human history first to these shepherds or how about the wise men what got in the way for so many that didn't get in the way for the wise men? Well, the wise men were curious. They didn't think they knew all the answers yet. They didn't have a way in which Jesus needed to fit into their thing. They were simply out looking and seeking honestly for the truth. And in that honest seeking of the truth, it led them to Jesus. So they saw it when he came and they were also amazed and they brought their gifts and they were overjoyed by what they had experienced by getting to see Jesus and when they were there, they knew that they had, were in the right place and they had found the thing that they had been looking for that they didn't even know really what it was until they saw it. Or certainly, Mary, a year before, would have had no idea what she was going to be called to do. She was an average 14-year-old girl with no pedigree, no thought of any kind of place of privilege or power herself, but then she hears the news that she is to be the mother of the Messiah, and can you imagine, as that baby grew in her womb, how her expectant heart grew with it? So much so that when she's with Elizabeth, that. The two babies are just having a blast inside their womb, John the Baptist and Jesus, as they're preparing to come into the world, knowing what that would mean for the world. What a sign of joy, no expectations, but then totally blown away. But doing something that we couldn't even expect, our expectations couldn't even bring us to this level of goodness or beauty, or joy, that this is the kind of thing that that we could never have expected. And that's exactly right, that Jesus didn't come just to sanction any or validate any one tribe, but he came lowly in a manger because his purposes were so much bigger. He didn't come to validate so much as he did to console to put on flesh and blood, become one of us, because he wanted to be a part of the human condition. He wanted to experience all that human beings experienced, and in so doing, to know us in all the fullness of what it meant to be one of us. I have a a friend who uh, recently got a new job. He used to be a youth pastor, and now he's a religion teacher at a school and those seem like similar jobs, but there's one difference, and that is that Sunday morning now, he's not paid to be at church. And so I was having a conversation with him about what it's like to be like one of you who get to choose to go to church or not go to church, and the experience of what that's like versus being employed to go to church and you're there on Sunday no matter what. And he was explaining to me how it changed him a little bit Because he understood again what it was like to be in your shoes. And that he explained to me that he has a little baby and he has a young son in third grade. And he has hard weeks where he works really hard. And sometimes it takes everything he has to just get out of the door and into the car and to church. He has a busy life and he's worked really hard. And so he says... Peter, you know the message I need by the time that I get to church? He said, it's a message of grace. It's like, it's a message of that you have a messy life and a messy world, but there is a good God of grace. Another way that we might say it is that there's only one who's worthy to hold the gavel, to be the judge, the one who made us, the one who really knows our true stories, knows everything about us. And his judgment is mercy. His judgment is grace. His judgment is love. And that's the meaning of Christmas. That's my joy to to just tell the good news of who Jesus is, that because of him, we get to have this wonderful life full of mishaps and expectations that weren't met, but ultimately satisfied in the love of Jesus Christ, who died for us and who rose again to show us a new way to live. With that in mind, let's pray and prepare our hearts to receive communion. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that we get to be here. We get to be with people that we love we thank you that we get to have another christmas we thank you for the breath in our lungs we thank you that you've given us the privilege of this one life lord i ask that you would uh, just open us up in this time of communion to give us your hope your joy your peace to give the things that only you can give lord as mary sang in her song that hungry bellies would be full because of who you are and what you have done. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.